Welcome to College Soccer Nation, the premier podcast focused on NCAA collegiate soccer, featuring SMU head women's coach Chris Petroselli and Old Miss head women's coach Mad Mod. You can download and listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your soccer friends. Now let's go to Coach Petroselli and Coach Mott. Welcome in to College Soccer Nation. My name is Matt Mott. I'm one of the co-hosts of the show, and we have a very special show tonight. This is our 25th episode. So our, is it, I don't know what that is, silver anniversary or something, but let me bring in Chris Petroselli, <laughs> our other co-host. Chris, what is 25 years? Isn't that something? That is, uh, I'm looking at Darren, gold? Yes. Gold. <laughs> Silver's gold. like 50, isn't it? No, no, it's not gold. Hold on, I'm looking. Give oh. me a second. Carry on. Oh. All right. All, All right. right. <laughs> but anyway, 25 episodes. We've made it 25. Brian didn't think we'd make five. We made it yeah, 25. Yeah, well, we so. proved him wrong. We continued well, yeah, to prove we did. him wrong. Yeah, we did. Killed it. <laughs> so a good show tonight. Our uh, Power Five, we were in the middle of March Madness. So our Power Five is the top five uh, basketball coaches of all time, not named John Wooden, right? Yeah. So well, and you, you clarified it for ones that we've had to see coach, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Had to see coach. Yep. Okay. And then uh, I have one thing before we get to the next segment. So this could be an issue, but have you seen what Krispy Kreme donuts done Chris today? I have not. Krispy Kreme donuts has said, if you come in day for the rest of the year, Sorry, so you could say go in a, there every day. Say that one yes, again. It froze up again. Say start. Say what you start. Krispy Kreme donuts. Say it again. Chris, Krispy Kreme donuts. Have you seen what they came out with today? I did not. <laughs> they came out with if you have your vaccination card. So if you had both of your shots or your one shot Johnson Johnson, you have a vaccination card filled out. You get one free Krispy Kreme every single day for the rest of the year. A fresh hot one right off the thing. How about that? So you could go in there every day and get a donut. Yes. And so it's funny, though. This is, the, this is a, I think it's funny. It's also a problem. I've had at least 10 people send that to me today. <laughs> is that an issue? Is that an issue? Yeah, I did have it on my donut list, but I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Tell me something about it. Anyway, yeah, that's a nice little that's promotion. Hey, problem um, is we have no Krispy Kremes in Oxford, so. <laughs> I can't, I'd have to drive our, our, our guests. Don't forget about our guests. Yes, guest is uh, Brian Moore. He is the Charlotte Soccer Academy ECNL National Director. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you. Excited to, uh, to, to meet and chat with him. We've both known him for years and years. He's a fantastic coach. And I think he does such a good job with his player development and uh, doing a great job out there. Charlotte, so excited to talk to him certainly later. Yeah, he'll be great. He'll be great. Yeah. All right. Chris, question time? Questions I like this from the first listeners. segment. This is fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this is fun. All right. All right. You want to go first? You, want me? you go first. Okay. So we've had a number of prominent coaches reach out to us, and they're a little bit confused um, with the way, the timing of the selection of teams for the NCAA tournament and um, the first game. Basically, the, the selection is done, I believe, on a Sunday uh, or a Monday. Mm-hmm. And then Monday. the following weekend, there are no games. The games aren't yep. played until maybe Tuesday. So yep. I was wondering if you could explain to everybody why that's happening. Yeah, I think the main reason is with COVID, I think when this decision was being made, the conversation circled around, okay, people are going to be at conference tournaments, conference championships. They're going to have to get home, fly home. They're going to have to line up their COVID protocols 
um, for that next week of games, whatever those are going to be from an NCAA standpoint or from their league standpoint. So I think they wanted to give more time to, uh, to allow teams to just get themselves organized and ready to go. Because if you think about in the past, you know, teams have played on Sunday, it's been announced on Monday and teams are playing on Thursday, um, you know, Thursday, Saturday or whatever. So I think they wanted to give a little more time for people to kind of get situated in what's going to happen. And, you know, again, with, if they have then, and, and I'm not sure if you guys have got to this yet, but um, it's supposed to be three weekends of games, right? Final four weekend, then, uh-huh. you know, the eight round of eight round of 16, and then the first weekend being the round of 32 and then the 48 that gets down to 32. So yeah. when will the second games be? Like if you play on Tuesday, when do you play again? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm always ready for this question, so I really don't know. I'm assuming it's the next week, weekend, the next weekend, but I, I don't know that. I, I can't say for sure. It would make sense if the I think the the 32 game is on maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, the and then the, game, the, the forty-eight to thirty-two on. No, on the forty-eight Tuesday. to thirty-two is like Sunday, Monday, I think it is, and then the next one is Wednesday, Thursday. I don't, I don't know. So basically, like one, we, we we have no we idea. We don't know. We don't know. No, okay. I, I was not prepared for that question. I apologize. You told me you were. Yeah. You told me you you had you had that covered. You I had like, the reason no, why the first one. games were, not the rest of them. I knew why the first games were, and I think I answered that quite eloquently. I might. Yeah, yeah, but like certainly the logical question would be, well, then what happens after that? Don't know. <laughs> All right, let me. You go. You got. You got a question there for me. I got a good question for you. I think this okay. will make you think a little bit. Okay. Uh, question from a listener, Brad from Mississippi. Yeah. It's in. Why is there such a difference in sideline attire for coaches? <laughs> uh, I Well, I just think people go with, you know, you, you have people, first of all, you have people who go with what's comfortable, right? Yeah. So you get the tracksuit coaches and, and maybe those are coaches who also are, um, see themselves as very active during training and, and things like that. And, and they see themselves more as the, the tracksuit person, as you, they call them in, in England. Um, and then you get sort of the uh, guys who get dressed up, you know, they wear a tie and mm-hmm. some uh-huh. of them wear a sweater vest and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I think those guys are trying to, you know, put off the air of very professional um sort of a strong leader, you know, that kind of thing. So I think everybody has kind of their, their sense of sort of what they want to be and, 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 and what they want to show. And that's why you got people doing all kinds of different things. That's why you wear the softball jacket because you (laughs) act like a softball coach. (laughs) I act like, yeah, I'm calling in plays, Chris. Am I doing signs (laughs) and signals? It's something that I find very comfortable, but let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, First of all, I got two things. One What's your thought on the coaches that continue to wear their cleats on the sideline when they also don't think you're running up and down the sideline planting and cutting and all that? I don't yeah, I don't see that. Well, I think um you and I I've I've patterned a little of my style after you. You know, I like the khaki shorts or maybe the khaki pants and then a nice polo, but I have added in the hot jacket that's I find very comfortable. Uh but I have to say this, Chris, watching your game yesterday, you were wearing a a pullover that was much, much, much too big for you. 
I think, you know, you've lost a good amount of weight over the time. I think you need to get to your equip, equipment guy and say you need a little smaller sizes. The jacket was swimming. You were swimming in it, Chris. It was too big. Too big. Well, so again, I need Matt, to- like my take on what I'm going to wear, like I don't put any thought into it. Okay. It's clear. That's clear. I just That's clear by the way you look. On and, <laughs> and I really don't think about it. Now, you, for you, it's like the first day of school. You have your outfit all planned out. You know, you put it out. It's there overnight, ready to go. And Jen, take a picture of me before I leave the house. That's right. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Yeah. So with, with answers, we really don't know. Yeah. We'll do what they sure. want. And yeah. they should. Be okay, I got a question for you. This one came, uh, I believe the name was Lewis from Pennsylvania. And he says, this is exactly his question, so I'll read it for you. With the distribution of talent being so varied amongst regions between the Girls Academy and the ECNL and resources being so limited due to the pandemic, do you believe college coaches will recruit equally or go with the biggest bang for their buck? Most talented players in the league, for example, by the numbers. So what do you think coaches are going to do when it comes time to recruit as far as the girls' academy, ECNL, how, how are they going to handle all of that? Well, whew, that's a that's a good question. I think first of all, if coaches aren't still actively recruiting the best they can over video conversations with coaches, conversations with players that you can talk to, then they're making a huge mistake if they're going to wait until you know June first to go out and try and okay, let me go find who I'm looking for, right? I think hopefully for their sake, they've been doing their work and their homework and and they have a plan set out for what makes the most sense for that school at that time, right? What's going to make sense for for me at Ole Miss and where to go and what to do is different than it's going to be for you at at SMU or, or you know, someone in, in Pennsylvania, right? We have to hit the players that we know right now that we're, we're interested in. And then I think we go from there. When you start talking about 23s and 24s, you have to go to to play areas that you've been successful in first, I think, and then branch out from there. But I mean, I think everybody's going to have to see these players that um, we're interested in. We have to see these players that are committed to us. We have to see the players that are signed with us. Yeah, we haven't seen anybody for a year. Yeah, you know. So I think it's going to be um, you know pack your bag and and head out and, and, and get a good look at everybody. Everybody's going everywhere. Uh, yeah. every chance you get, you know, in if it opens up in June, which we, we believe that it's going to, um, you know, in June and July, like you're not going to the beach. You're, you're going yeah. recruiting. <laughs> yeah. Know, every, no doubt. every chance you get for sure. No, that's a good question though. I mean, it, it is hard, right? Like what do you do? But I think, you know, by, by the time June 1st, that you better have a plan. Yeah. On, on how you're going to utilize yourself and your staff on, and seeing the most kids you can to start making comparisons and get getting in the front foot of it. Yeah, and I, and I think you make a good point of, like, we got to see some of these kids that are committed to us, some of these kids that are signed with us. I mean, we even – I always like to try to connect with those kids that, that have signed with us and, you know, meet their families and, and all of that sure. kind of stuff, and we, we haven't been able to do that. So, you know, that's, yep. all, that's all out there as well. So we, we got a lot of traveling to do when, when the time comes around. What's your, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but what is your, what is your video opinion? I think, uh, well, we said, you know, everybody has a highlight tape, first of all. Right, so right, right, we, right. we take it, we take it from there first, right? We, we expect that when, when we receive a video from someone 
to highlight tape that it's going to be pretty good. Um, but we need more than that, right? We, we, sure. we follow up and we get games and we watch individual games and we try to watch, you know, maybe individual games against teams that we know or, you know, mm-hmm. levels that we know and, and things like that. But it is a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of video recruiting for sure over the last year. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Any more questions, Chris? That's all the ones. I only had the one. Yeah, that's it. That's it for this week. Good, okay. good, uh, good list of questions for sure. Yes, yes. They're getting better each week, which is yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time, isn't it, to bring in the, the big deal? Bring him in. All right. Let's welcome to the show our very good friend, um, the head coach of the Rice Owls. We don't say that very often. And, uh, and a great friend of the show. Bring us in, please. Welcome to the show. Mr. Brian Lee. Oh, fellas, that was a, uh, another very good intro. I love the questions. Huge. Well, yeah. Now, Brian, I just want to, I want you to confirm for me. Mm-hmm. When we talked about the questions, you know, in the pre-show, right? And and we pre-production, said, Chris, pre-production question, right? Did he not say like, oh, I know the answer to that one. That's no problem. Matt very rarely claims he knows the answer to something, but this one. Just oh, looked yeah. it up while you were banging on about right. how bad I am. Good. First and second rounds, April 25th, 27th, 26, 28, or 27, 29. Those are your options for the first round games. Second round, uh, sorry, so now we're into the third round games. Third round games are May 5th. Wait, tell me the first round again. The How, how far apart are they? 25 and 27. So or you were 26 okay. and 28 or 27 and 29. So you play one day, have a day off, play again. Yeah. So the, Friday, the, Sunday. The level. second game, the second game, that team won't have played, right? right. Because those are the buys. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Then right. the third round games are May fifth. Okay. So how long is that after the first game? Well, the 29th would be the latest. So you'd have thirtieth, first, second, third, fourth. It's six days. Okay. Good. Good. And then, and then you have the Final Four. And remember, the women's Final Four is, I think it's Wednesday, Sunday. Yeah, it is. I'm almost sure. Yeah. Well, that'd yeah. be great. But back, back to the, the, the two rounds before that, you, how far apart are, are the games in the second and I mean, the third and the fourth round? Yeah, so the third round is the fifth. The, the next one is the 13th. So there's eight? just one game that weekend? Yeah, it's a Sweet 16. Okay. Okay. Right? right. Wait, is that right? Oh, no. Sorry. No, no. I'm sorry. I missed today. You got the third rounds on the fifth, and then the ninth is the quarterfinal rounds. So that's Wednesday. Three more days between that. Yeah. That's Wednesday, Sunday. That's interesting. Yeah. And then that would make sense then if the Final Four is doing the same thing. Yeah. Oh, good. That's awesome. Okay. I think a lot, hey, a lot of people will be happy with that. Brian, did you hear that? He <laughs> just said something that the committee's trying to work through is awesome. Yeah, I'm that, writing this I down. think a lot of people will be happy with that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Glad they since, like it. Since we're in the throes of the uh, NCAA basketball tournaments, yes. with the seeds not playing the first day, and two days later they get to play a team who just played another probably pretty good team. Yeah. Of the 16 seeds – how many don't advance to the round of 16 in your minds well, right now? Well, this is what I would say. I would say anybody that's playing on the first day should call LSU 
and figure out how they do it on short rest. <laughs> they've had done it back-to-back weeks where they've beaten, played Baylor, beat Baylor, then beat Texas Tech, played, oh, they lost to Dallas Baptist and then beat Florida, Florida but still yeah. Yeah. played both those teams on short rest and won. So there's That's there's right. some recipe to it, Brian. But I think how many out of 16, Matt, after your great explanation, we can just call someone and figure it out. Of the 16, recognizing that they are the top 16 seeds. Yes. Well. Yes. 15. How many? 15. Yeah. It, it's it, what a year for being a seed to get that three oh, or yeah. four seed even. You know, I think in a normal year now we're seeing some upsets and parity really hits after about the top six, eight teams. But with that kind of advantage, we're going to get right back to 14, 15, or 16 of them going through. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. All right, Brian. We ready? Ready for the rundown? Let's do it, Chris. Let's start in the Big Ten. All right. Um, looks like Penn State has kind of solidified themselves at the top with a win over um, Minnesota, Michigan. Rutgers holds on to beat Iowa and Minnesota. The rest of the league is uh, kind of a mess at this point. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it, – it, is it which end of it is it in the eye of the beholder where there's six, seven teams who still fancy themselves as, you know, NCAA at large teams, Rutgers, Penn state have certainly separated themselves a couple teams at the bottom, but legitimately five, six, seven of them are still fighting it out to third. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know, I'm just looking at it. Like it, at the moment, it's hard to justify three, four, five at the moment for, uh, from that league, at the moment. With, they're, they're the league that really is going to put the you know crank in the system without playing any non-conference games. How can you evaluate the Big Ten? Yeah. And are, is the committee just going to go historically, they've had somewhere between three and five probably in a normal year? maybe six in a good year? Are they just going to hit them with the third and fourth team automatically? You know, and especially they're in a tricky spot because you got Penn State and Rutgers playing at a high level, winning almost every game. But you also have a couple teams at the bottom losing every game, Yeah, which puts everybody else at 500 in the middle. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if, if nobody's beating Penn State or Rutgers and everybody's beating those bottom couple teams, who's got a good win? Yeah, nobody because they're only beating nobody. each other. That's so, right. yeah, that that's going to be the tricky league. That's a tough one. Yeah. All right, uh, Pac-12. That was this was the uh, weekend where the local rivals play each other in non-league games. So we had um, sort of the ones to highlight for me were the draw between UCLA and USC. Uh, Washington continues league where there's a lot of teams that have a good win. Right or or what you would consider a good a good win, yeah. And they they played a few non conference games and they basically won them all as a league. So that that's floating them up in the RPIs as they play each other as well. So you got a total different RPI situation between the Pac twelve and the Big Ten. Um, but by the same token, you know that that weekend that was college soccer one on one. We mentioned a couple of games in there. Washington beat Washington State. Did you see the winner? I did. I did. Uh, <laughs> Cal beat Stanford on their one shot, maybe. Yeah. Did, did yeah. you see yeah. it or hear about it? Sure so, did. So, <laughs> I just classic goalkeeping gaffes 
in otherwise really well-played games, deciding yeah. the games, yeah. which we're seeing constantly. I don't know if the layoff was has been worse for the goalkeepers and the field players, but we're certainly seeing a lot of games decided late with goalkeeper mistakes. And then uh, other results around the country, the big, big one for all of us, Rice with a huge win over Texas A&M. As we know, Texas A&M rarely loses in the state. So congratulations, Brian. That's a fantastic win for your program. Yes, Brian. Congratulations. I put the little hand clap up on the uh, screen. Congratulations. (laughs) It was awesome. Well, obviously, thanks. We appreciate it. I'm pretty sure in 14 years at LSU, we won a bunch of division titles. We had some top 20 teams. We won the SEC, and we never beat A&M. But in my (laughs) first try at Rice, there we go. go. Go figure. They'll probably never play you again. <laughs> hey, maybe I'll never play them again. Yeah, <laughs> undefeated. The there you go. I'm like uh, Costanza in, or is it, you know, it's Jerry in Seinfeld when he says, I'll never race again. Yes, I choose not yes. to. Yes. Uh, the other ones I had uh, I had pointed out, Cincinnati with a with an upset over Tennessee, and that really hurts Tennessee. Uh, South Florida over Central Florida. Uh, we had talked about that being a big game in the league. And, and Sanford and, and Furman, you know, was sort of the, the big game for that league. And that one ended up in a draw. Yeah, actually, I watched two of those three games. The one I didn't watch was USF, but that's a you know big win for them and a big win for the league because it kind of keeps multiple bids alive as a possibility for the AAC. You know, the Cincinnati win over Tennessee, um, that's a really hard place to play. for the. I know you've been yeah. there plenty. Yeah. Um, but that probably, you know, does Tennessee in for having any at-large chances. And Sanford Furman game, I thought really competitive, even game, windy day. So each team, when they had the wind, had chances. Uh, and then, in fair enough, finished in a draw, which really is a big deal for Furman because they are unbe- they haven't taken a loss and Sanford already had a draw. Now it's time for Brian's brackets. <laughs> what, what well, here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do today, Chris. I want to yep. take a different approach. Okay. So, Oh, here we go. He's already we, changing it, Chris. No, no, no. Yeah. We're going to go back to straight brackets, you know, bracketology next week. This week, we have people who are proponents of the RPI and people who <laughs> think we shouldn't even look at the RPI. Yeah. Fair enough in the coaching community? Mm-hmm. Yes. So here's what I did. I took only teams that have played seven games. So it starts to fare out at least a little bit. Obviously, not enough games for a valid RPI, but you tell me how valid when I go through these. Yeah. So I'm eliminating anybody who hasn't played seven games. Okay. And then Wait, it's, seven only or seven or more? Seven or more. Seven okay. Or more. So gotcha. you have to have played seven games. So if the illustrious committee went straight on RPI and chose the field today, these are these are your list of teams in. And then maybe I'll give you a bubble team right outside. And then maybe a couple more. Chris, while I'm going through these, make a mental note of how many you think are just absurd that they would be in the tournament. Okay. All right. Gotcha. All right. So, like, FSU is number one, but they're the automatic fit. So, I'm not listening to all the autos. Okay. All right. So, your at-large is Washington's the highest-rated Pac-12 team. They, they would be the auto. North Carolina. UCLA. Arkansas, Colorado, Penn State's the auto in the Big Ten, Santa Clara auto, WCC, A&M, Duke, Oklahoma State, UConn, Arizona, 
TCU, Big 12 Auto. Ole Miss, Oregon, Virginia, Ohio State, Vanderbilt Auto, Clemson, South Carolina, Arizona State, BYU, Providence, and South Florida. How many in your mind, those are just off the reservation? Off the reservation? None of them are off the reservation. They're all well, even, even, hey, that's a little bit stunning. I'm not yeah, sure that'd be right. In a I'd normal say there's year. maybe four or five, maybe four or five, where you'd go, yeah, I look at those and I go, ah, I'm not quite sure that they're there yet. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So let's say it's four or five. Yeah. Here, here are the next teams that would replace them if the committee looked at the bubble and, sure. and thought closely about it. West Virginia. Fair enough putting them in for one of them? I think so. I mean, they, they've got two games against Virginia coming up. They've got to get a win in one of them. But at this point, yes. All right. So let's say now we're down to probably not. Good teams, but probably we're probably not, not going to look at them. Yeah. So they're the next RPI. How about Rutgers? Oh, in. Yeah. Yeah. There's your next yeah. team. Yeah. Um, Mississippi State. Probably not. So. Put them in the so. UAB. Yeah. Sanford category. All right. Next to Southern Cal and Stanford. Um. <laughs> <laughs> feel good about them historically I, I, do. Right in the tournament. <laughs> I do and you know Stanford still needs some work and and USC has the results that they need but they probably need a few more wins but yeah I think you know in the end probably they, they would be in there yeah all right so now we've we've replaced those teams yeah and I'm going to give you three teams that have played six games two of which are in that would be in instead of Really, right now, you'd, you'd have to say three Big East teams a little much, so drop off Providence as one yeah. of the last at-larges. And right now, South Florida probably needs a little more. They yeah, were they our last are. one. But if you went to the six-game teams, it now includes Cal, yeah, NC yeah. State. NC State, probably not there right now, not but yet. three of the last four final 16s. And Washington State. Yeah. So if yeah. those are the next three, you feel good about <laughs> – West Virginia, Cal, Washington State, Southern Cal, Stanford, and Rutgers, possibly replacing some of those teams who seem pretty good already. Yes, yes, yes. So my point on it is we've, if you've played seven games, the RPI is pretty reasonably on it. Yeah. And it certainly gets you to the bubble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it doesn't fix that Big Ten dilemma because those teams are way down. You know, yeah. and you only have Ohio State, we'll add Rutgers um, and Penn State. But like we said earlier, maybe the Big Ten ends up being a three-team league. What is um, – do you know off the top of your head the uh, RPIs of those big, big Ten teams? I do. Give me a second. And this is in the simulated RPI. Off the top, I, uh, straight ahead, Illinois is 96, Wisconsin's 127. Indiana's 104, Michigan's 146, Minnesota, Purdue, Northwestern are all kind of in that range as the well. the top ones are where? Penn State, oh, Rutgers, where are they? Ohio State, they were, give me a second, they were 22 when you took the little group out that hadn't played the games. Yeah. But in actuality, they are 40 right now. Yeah. So... Rutgers is 58 and Penn State is 18. So, okay. okay.
Yeah. And we all complain because you stare at the top of it and you see, you know, finally Florida State's number one, which right. uh, fair enough. But you still you got Florida State, Ryder, then Washington, <laughs> then Army. But Ryder's played two games and Army's played three games. Right. That'll work itself out by the time they're at seven games. Right. Well, again, as I, I had said, you know, when Florida State's number one, I'll, I'll start to recognize this thing. And I'd say to you, yeah, but um you know north carolina's probably got to be number two and you know ucla's probably yeah. gonna be number three for me to really feel feel comfortable about it well and my guess is that's the way it's going to end up as the washington's even play a few more games yeah. you know the the records on north carolina's 12 and one and their one loss is going to be to the 11-0 florida state how, how are they not going to finish number two uh, yeah. by the time the math gets in there for sure. UCLA, you know, they've had a couple injuries. League's tough. Maybe they drop a game, but they'll be up there as well. The question for me is who's going to be the fourth number one? I think yeah, those three are going to end question. up number one. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, you're looking at, uh, for me, probably TCU or Penn State, but a lot of games left, so we'll see. Yeah. 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 All right, what do you have uh, What do you have for your team of the week? Team of the week. We touched on them a little. You know, I thought about Cal, and then I looked a little closer, and it was a shot cross. Good win, but it was a shot cross. Um, Washington, I looked. Good win, and then I saw the goal. And not that those aren't great wins, but I feel for the goalkeepers, and I feel for the losing team and coaches and those. Sure. DePaul, DePaul had a great win over Butler. Don't want to yeah. miss that one. That was a big-time win. But I'm going with Penn State because they kind of put a – Vice grip on the Big Ten along with Rutgers made it a two-horse race and and did it in emphatic fashion. Four-one over Michigan and three-nil over Minnesota. Good choice, good choice. I think they've done. They've shown here recently that 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 they're uh, playing at a, at a pretty high level for sure. Okay, well, you got. It. I went with this was such an easy one for me. I went with the Rice Owls. I mean that that was easy, <laughs> right? I mean a win over A and M then. You got to get in a bus and drive to, uh, is it Ruston? Is that where? It, it is Ruston. Ruston, yes. Louisiana, right? And uh, you beat um, Louisiana Tech. Uh, so that's a fantastic week for Rice. So my team of the week is the Rice Owls. Oh, well. All, all that's the a nice Rice choice, Chris. That's a nice yep. choice. It's yeah. a nice choice. <laughs> uh, we so, so, Brian, Brian uh, you know, you've been team of the week. Yeah, I've been team of the week. <laughs> team of the week. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, coach. It's coming. All right, Brian. Great job well, as usual. Enjoyed it. Good well, work. I can't wait to listen to Brian Moore. The yeah. and I couldn't be any more sincere about this. I think uh, when when we're recruiting over the amount of time all of us have spent in this, there are coaches you can trust implicitly who give you advice about their players. And then they're, by the over time, you get people you, you don't trust because they're selling you a bill of goods sometimes. And, um, and there are coaches that you know you're going to get a well-trained, prepared kid who's got, you know, the basics to come to college and be successful from some places. And there are other places, once you've had a few kids come through, you know, you, you might get a kid who needs a ton of work um, tactically when they come in. And Brian Moore is the best of both of those worlds as a club guy. He's going to give you the straight up on players and, and he knows players and knows what works in college. And then you also know 
uh, you're going to get a very developed kid who's ready to contribute right away. So I can't I can't wait to hear what he's got to say. And he's a, he's a good man above and beyond yes. that. So yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, good. See All you, right, Brian. Thanks. Right, see you, Brian. All right, Chris. We're going to bring in Charlotte Soccer Academy ECNL National Director Brian Moore, big friend of both you and I. Uh, excited to have him on the show. Brian, welcome to College Soccer Nation. Thank you very much, Matt, Chris, Brian. I'm uh, honored to be on this show with you wonderful people. <laughs> so listen, what we like to do always at the beginning is uh, have you just kind of walk us through your path, like, you know, from your you know, actually really early playing days, obviously right into uh, and what you're doing now and kind of how it's all evolved to get you there to, to Charlotte. In short, I, uh, I, my, both my parents are teachers and educators. My dad's a coach, so I kind of knew all along I'd probably be in some sort of teaching vocation or area. Um, but I wanted to be a player first. And though I'd probably say I was a, a good player, I always knew all along I was going to be a coach. And I, uh, through my few years of playing professionally and going through that, I, I was able to be around some good, excellent coaches and some coaches I didn't want to mirror. And uh, from that, I, I, I started doing youth soccer. And I think probably later on we'll talk a little bit more. But as a professional back in those days, you really couldn't, unless you had endorsements, you really excuse me, you really weren't going to make a whole lot of money unless you supplemented it with coaching. So I got into coaching. I coached youth soccer at AFC Lightning and um, in Fayetteville, Georgia. And then I was at Peachtree City Lasers and started Concord Fire Soccer uh, South Program and ECNL there and was at the University of Georgia for four years and then landed in this great place. Uh, Charlotte Soccer Academy is a great club. It's a big club here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um that's really kind of how my path went. I could probably go into further detail, but it will keep it short and simple. <laughs> so let's um, let's talk a little bit about since we're college soccer nation, your your college soccer experience uh, at Maryville, and uh, and also that one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, I believe that there's a number of guys out there in coaching that have come through Maryville. Is that is that correct? Yeah, Ben Sarabi's at Radford. Randy Evans was at Oklahoma uh, for a while. Now he's in youth soccer. Um, Blake Hornbuckle was a head coach sure. uh, at Southeast Louisiana, and now he's in club soccer. Um, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody, but we all played together. We were teammates. Huh. And why, why do you think, you know, why do you think so many of those guys went on to do so well? I mean, was there, you know, was there something sort of common there? I think we had a tremendous uh, group of people that just loved the game. And interesting enough, the, I, I had two different head coaches when I was at Maryville, Phil Neto, who was there the first two years I was there, and he was a very disciplined, very tactical coach. And I think we kind of uh, became students of the game under him. And Pepe Fernandez came in and did an amazing job. Uh, he was a young coach, and I really attribute a lot of my success in terms of my confidence as a player to take players on and create goal-scoring chances with him because the way he managed us and handled that too, and it was a perfect you know, I, I, we had two excellent coaches, and even Bakhti Barber, if anybody knows him, he was a great player at NC State years ago and played a little bit professionally. He was an assistant at Maryville as well. So we really had some excellent coaches in our time there, and I think that probably due to having such good – You kind of breezed past it pretty quickly, but I want to go back to your, your professional career, right, in, in that time – what did it look like, and you mentioned it just a little bit, but what did it look like to be a professional soccer player 
in those years. And not that I'm dating, you're nowhere near as old as, as Chris, you're almost probably yeah. similar to my age, but not that old, but how, how, uh, how was that? What was that like? Well, I, um, it, it, it's a journey. It, if, if, if you guys do remember in order to really, um, have a professional career, you played six months outdoor soccer and you played six months indoor soccer and tie those together. And a lot of joints and pains that came from changing surfaces, uh, came about and and I, I touched on it earlier that in order to really you know make make some decent money you had to do some coaching on the side so I can tell you that um there was a time when I would uh I'd train in the mornings go home take a nap go out and coach till nine o'clock at night get up and do the same thing that type of thing for six months and then I'd go to I went to Cincinnati or Dayton Ohio for a little short stints play indoor soccer and unless you had a big endorsement deal or you were a U.S. men's national team player, you probably didn't have the money to just do that on your own and play. But, um, I, I mean, I think you, there were a lot of great players. And, and, and then, it, you know, I was playing around 95. I was probably at the peak of my playing days. And in 96, MLS started. And I was fortunate enough to play for Lothar, Lothar Osiander in Atlanta in 95. And he became the LA Galaxy coach in 96. And, to give you some perspective, I, he offered me a developmental role at LA Galaxy for twenty four thousand dollars a year, and I was not going to uproot and go to go to LA for twenty four grand. Had yeah. I known MLS was going to uh, be the league it was today, I probably would have gone. Um, yeah. But at the time, what's interesting is I had the year before that happened, I had been drafted in the first round of the Continental Indoor Soccer League by Sacramento. And I uh, was all excited about that. I was getting ready to go in a week out, the league folded. And <laughs> you know, the, the A-League in 95 had started off with eight teams and Toronto bailed the first day of the of the season and went to seven teams. So I wasn't going to really uproot. And like I said all along, I felt like I would be a coach in the long run. And I played as long as I could. And I, I, I don't I, – I had a little bit of ability. I was a decent player, but – I really just soaked up all the information I could get from some of the great coaches and people and players that I played with and played for. Let me ask you this real quick, Chris, before you get to, so we had, we had Eddie on Eddie Rodwinski on a, a few weeks ago. Um, and you know, his nickname was the white lightning, right? Everybody knew him white lightning. Did you have a nickname as a pro? Any kind of nickname like that? <laughs> uh, Cause those were, uh, those were kind of the dark days of pro soccer in America, weren't they? Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I I wouldn't trade it for anything. I thought I thought it was it was great, and you know, I, I there were some there were some really really good players in those days that probably a lot of people never heard of because they played indoor soccer and they were tremendous players yeah. and they would have been good outdoor players, but they just they made good money in those leagues and um, I kind of I kind of teethed with a lot of those guys and played with guys like Chris Camp and Caleb Surrey and. You know, Yara Dokniewski was a goalkeeper. There were Franklin McIntosh. There were a lot of good players that that we grew up with, and I played with John Doyle. And I'm not name dropping, but some of those people helped shape my soccer mind and soccer career and and path and journey. So I I'm, right. I'm grateful for it. I, I think right. we all look at MLS now and go, wow, how great it would it be? I I, I went to the first Atlanta United game. Um, in Georgia Tech Stadium, and I I was in tears just because of the league and, and what it what it come to. And I went to the MLS Cup final when they won it in eighteen, and it was it was a pretty awesome thing to see how the game had progressed in twenty plus years. Yeah, it's great. 
Hey, I want to um, I want to talk to you a little bit about about sort of your role in club soccer and and some of the things that that go on within club soccer. So I know everybody does it. Everybody does it a little bit different. Um, but in your club, is there a um, like a club wide system of play? Uh, I think we have a, a kind of a defined style of play. And I think if you looked at, at a system of play pretty much for the 11 aside teams, it's, it's, it looks a little bit like a four, three, three in terms of the, you know, the player profiles and stuff like that. Um, and then if you go younger with nine V nine, it's going to mirror it, whether it's a two, four, one or some sort of formation that looks a little bit like something that would translate when you add two more players to, to a four, three, three. Um, but I can speak for the Eastern national group, which I only oversee that girls part of that. And the big thing for me is adaptability. And if we're preparing kids for college soccer or national team or stuff like that, the adaptability has to be there. And I can tell you from being at Georgia that too many kids came in that had only played in a four, three, three and couldn't make adapt and couldn't, couldn't adjust in the game. And they, they were stuck in their mind that they had to play as a seven in a four, three, three. And that's the only way they could play. And I, um, since coming here, I've kind of implemented that for six weeks at a time, we'll try to use different formations and it may vary by age group, but I will play a four, three, three at times. We'll play a four, four, two pinched in diamond. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll try to change that. I do that for all six of our ECNL national groups and it's different by age group. But, um, you know, I think if, if I, if I had a pretty cool situ uh, set up with, with our 19s last year, I had them sit down and make a paragraph of what, what our style of play looked like. And, the, and it was a good team building activity. And they came up with something along the lines of we want a possession based style of play that plays through the lines and build up play and creates opportunities from combination play and creativity in the final third. We want to be, and, and we talked about the different moments of the game defensively. We want to work collectively to deny goal scoring chances, but also win balls and opportunities to counterattack. And the big thing for me is transition. I spent a lot of time talking about those transitional moments and we talked about the recognition of those changes and, and how quickly so, but I, I know you're not talking about style of play, but to me that, that adjust, I mean, that affects it a little bit because I, I think the, the adaptability is important in a, and maybe maybe the conversation I'm about to have is is more about something that would maybe like best club practices. But we every Thursday we do stuff like uh, we'll put the two team, the two age groups together, like 13s and 14s, 15s and 16s, and 17s and 19s, and we'll do you know up a goal, down a goal for the last eight eight minutes or something like that, or some, you know stuff like that where they have to change their formation and understand their roles and responsibilities and those types of things. And it's not always about the result, but it's about the adaptability and adjustment and, and how it changes our style. But um, I, I don't want to go too far into that, but I hope that answered your question. It does. And, and what I'm, what I'm hearing <clears throat> tells me matches up with um, what I've always seen from players that have played with you. They're, they're prepared you know, mm-hmm. uh, for the next level, whatever that next level might be, but they're, they're always prepared. They, they can handle different situations. They can handle different positions. Um, what they be, what they are is they're soccer players, you know, and, and they can play in all kinds of different environments. And I've always felt that your kids are, are um, prepared better than, than most out there. Um, and as I hear you talk, I, I understand why I can see why. Yeah. And our, in, you know, as far as a club wide system, we have such a big club here. We have 
four or five branches and we have boys and girls. And so I think it, I think you'd almost not development if you stuck them in one formation or one system, I think you have to obviously, you know, look at your players. And, and I, I do, I do respect that you look at clubs around the world that play a certain system and everybody plays toward that, but they also have a first team in their club. We, we do not have a pro pathway right now until we have MLS in our city now, but I could see us if we were working on selling players and developing people for the first team, I could see us being, you know, a double. Sure. Sure. So I think that that, that also impacts what we do. And I, I if I were in a different environment, I, I might be telling you something different, but I, either way, along the way, we're not only developing kids for just a professional team. We're trying to get them ready for different college levels. And as you guys know, and Matt can tell you the the diversity and the styles of play in the SEC alone, and I'm sure that's the case in any club or league or, or any league, any club league or any college league. So adaptability. Yeah, it's, it's good, Brian. You stole some of my thunder, Chris, because I was going to say the same thing, you know, even back in his earliest days of uh, AFC lightning and, and those guys, you know, we were recruiting players at UCF and at Auburn from Brian, and and I completely agree and echo what Chris said. I mean, Brian's players were always prepared to come into college. I think if you asked uh, Coach Hoppa, she won a lot of a lot of games with, uh, or we won a lot of games with Brian's players, and that's continued at every club he's been at. So it's it's, it's and it listening to him, I totally agree. But so just changing gears a little bit, talk about. Um, the differences between coaching in the SEC as you did for uh, some years at, at Georgia and the club, like how, how did that change for you going to the SEC and um, you know, from, from the club level? Um, I, I think that just because in the SEC you have so much availability to see everybody play and there are no secrets there. So, you know, you had to, the scouting reports were a little bit bigger and all that, you know, there's more of that stuff. And I, even though we still have plans for how we're going to play against different club teams, it's just not, it's on a different stage and the results are our primary uh, or the primary focus. Um, you know, a lot of emphasis on set pieces, which obviously we still do at the club level. We want to make sure that kids are, are have some specialties in their game to help them when they go on to play at the next level. But as I said, there just weren't any secrets, but the physicality of the game and the speed of the game is so much different probably because of the, um, the results, but also the substitution rules are, are very different. And, and, and because of that, you have to, you have to be able to do it. And another, another thing I'm big on is players being able to play in different tempos, whether it's defensively or offensively, you know, being able to control the tempo of the game on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, I think that at the college level, it's not as easy to control the tempo from a defensive standpoint because you kind of there's so many athletes on the field and the game is so fast and it can turn into a track meet. Um, but then again, you played back in the day, you play Florida and they kill you with a thousand passes and you play Missouri and they'd be, you know, pressing with four up top. Or, and and mm-hmm. I love that. I love that challenge of every week having something to even when we go outside our conferences, it's just not as drastic and it's just not as fast. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. Hey, what about Brian? The the uh, so you you've been around the club game a long time and you went through the uh, failed, I guess it's failed DA experiment, and um, and and you know now back to ECNL. And can you talk a little bit about all of that and how all that affected you guys and just some thoughts you have about it? Um, 
Well, I, prior to going to Georgia, I was an ECNL board member. So I certainly appreciated what that league brought. And the DA came about when I was in college, uh, in the college game. So I didn't really deal with that transition from ECNL to DA. Um, but I certainly on the back end of it was here when the DA folded and we went back to ECNL and, and I'm glad to be back in that league. But I, I really think that both leagues have some, some advantage or had some advantages. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people really didn't like the sub rule with the DA and I, I probably lean on the other side. I would like to see it would have been tiered, you know, 13s having a little lot less freedom, maybe 15s and 16s having a little bit more stricter, but I, I felt like the 19s to get them ready for life when they go out, I would have liked to have seen that stay as far as no, you know, it, it, I like that part of it. Another thing I liked about the DA, and it wasn't because of not high, not having high school. My dad was a high school soccer coach, so I, I don't really have anything against high school soccer, but I did like the 10 month calendar because it allowed you to, you know, not have games crammed in every weekend. And I, and I, I think of it pr- from a perspective of where I do the periodization for, for all our six, our teams. And if you, and I try to do, a, I, I think I do a pretty good job of balancing the heavy load topics of pressing or whether we're working on defending in the middle third of the field and things that are, that are going to burn your legs. I typically do those on off weeks um, when we don't have games, but if you look at ECNL, obviously you have games almost every weekend in the fall because you're trying to cram it in. So they have time for high school soccer. And, and again, nothing against that. It's just, it, there's some challenges and there's some great things about one and not so great about the other. I think that there were too many, there was, there were some strict rules, but to me at this, and when we got back in the ECNL, one thing that I really wanted to do is I wanted to be able to play league games that were, that were good games where I didn't, wasn't getting on a flight for a, for a league game. And ECNL provided that for us this, when we just made this transition back. And to me, I like that part of it. Um, and, and, but regardless of the league we're in, I think it, no matter where you play, it's, it's about the, the clubs that you're dealing with and the people that you interact with. And, and as long as everybody's kind of going the same direction for the, growth you know as i made the transit as we made the transition back that was an important part there were some good people in the area and i thought there were some good clubs involved so it made a lot of sense and i to, i benefited from from being in the da uh, i was able to do my academy director's course license right I mean, that's one of the best courses i've taken uh, and i've been i've been fortunate to have some great instructors on the b and the a through the years and even my audits and I can tell you that the work that we did, and it was so different. Uh, the Academy Directors course really kind of re revitalized me and helped me really think beyond just being a coach. And, you know, Chris, I've talked to you about what I learned from the college game before. I went in the locker room. If I had to go back and improve something that I could do better at is, is connecting better and win in that locker room. And, and you didn't, you don't really have to do that as much in the club game, but, it, right. you know, but I think there were so many things in that course that, so I, I, I'm kind of glad my path led me where I was the DA director and now I'm the ECNL director. Cause it's, I got the best of both worlds in two years. Awesome. Yeah, it's good. So um, my, I got kind of a double-edged uh, question here for you. So I have to go back way, way back. Um, and, and when Brian, Brian uh, hears this, he's going to smile from ear to ear, Brian Lee, but um so I remember one of my first, Chris, one of my first times working with Brian Moore on players, he was pushing this player on me who was injured. And he uh-huh. kept saying to me, Matt, she's really good. Matt, I'm telling you, you got to look at her, Matt. 
She's excellent, you know. And, and I saw her right when she came back, and we passed. Her name was Mallory Rutledge. <laughs> and I still talk to her to this day where I think she wanted to come to Auburn, and we just, we passed. You know, I, I watched her. I didn't think she was going to have Brian kept telling me, you got a map, telling you, you got you know. And I passed. Um, Why wouldn't you listen and- to the guy? I, at that Why point, I didn't know the like guy I, who now made. I would listen to Matt, can I call a timeout? <laughs> yeah. Petroselli, had, I had the same conversation with him at Texas, and I think he'll tell you that, too. <laughs> yeah. Who, Kelly O'Hare? Is it no, Kelly it O'Hare? was Mallory. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, then good. That makes me feel better. Because when, they, when LSU better. played Texas, he called me. He goes, who the hell is this kid from, Pete, from the Peaceful City area you didn't tell me about? I said, yeah. do you remember me calling you about this kid? He goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, you worked with some great players, right? She was she's a, was a phenomenal college player. And, and then, obviously, you know, Kelly O'Hare. And I know you've had other national team kids. But so talk to me about how, when you have those elite players – how do how, what's the best case for you, or how do you do it with best practices? How you do it when you have the elite players, and then you have average players, right? And you have players that are going all over the place. How difficult is that when you when you do come across the really high end players to continue to make them better? Because question, I think you, you, sometimes you get lucky with it. I think sometimes <laughs> sometimes you you actually have a plan and it doesn't work, and you had the right right idea here and there, but. I, I try to be consistent with the accountability with those kids and, and I, I encourage them to be leaders and, and try to help pull the, pull the kids in the right direction. Um, you know, the, the common, the, the common arguments are always going to be about playing them up or training them with boys. And I, um, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in putting them in an environment where they can continue to grow as role as uh, impact players and not role players. I've seen girls players go and play with boys for a year and they come back looking like a role player because they, and, and nothing against mm-hmm. that. But, but I've also seen girls that have gone off and play with boys that have come back even better because they went and they were impact players and those things. So I think it's just making sure you test them in that environment, um, constantly challenge them. And I, I, I feel like the sessions that I do are not, you know, I, I don't, everything I do is about decisions. I, I get, I don't, I don't like pattern play. I don't, I've never been a big fan of it. I did just think that, you know, kid, the game is about decisions and I constantly hold them accountable for that. And I am a kind of a Montessori type where I'm going to ask questions instead of tell them. Um, there are, kind of, there are times when I kind of let them know this, but <laughs> this is, this is what needs to happen. Or this is what should happen. I, I, my best and worst qualities, I say what I'm thinking. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that I'm consistent and I'm tough and I'm fair. And I think that's just how you have to be. That's life. And, um, uh, you know, sometimes you have to bring them down a notch and, and, but they usually come back. I mean, you look at Kelly, Kelly's a kid that her success came from, she, she had been cut three times, you know, she got cut by the twenties and she got cut by the team and she, she just kept coming back and, and she wasn't going to be denied. And, you know, you have all those kids at that level that, that just have that just unbelievable competitive drive. And I think that teaching them how to channel that, aggression and that 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 competitive spirit in the right way is what you have to focus on yeah why don't you um take a minute here brian tell us a little bit about the charlotte soccer academy what it's all about and uh um where it's headed and and and, uh just give us an idea about it i think that this club is just continuing to grow and and i don't to me growing in numbers is 
is more for an executive director, but growing in, 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 in our players' abilities. And I, I think the people that laid the foundation and built this club built a great thing. And there's a lot of good players and a lot of, a lot of really collar type of kids and they played well together. And I think that we're starting to get a little bit more edge out of our, out of our kids. And I don't know if that's contagious from, from me. I'm, I'm pretty edgy when I'm, when I'm out there training, competing, and I, I hope that that rubs off on them, but, you know, we've got a beautiful offices here, a uh, nice facility. And I think that those continue to get better. We were, a little, we thought we were going to have MLS, the, the full team training here for us temporarily for a couple of years. And then MLS backed them up to start in 2022. So instead of having a temporary site here, they ended up building their own, but um, it's a big club. And I think we have a, we have 30, 37, 38 full-time staff members here, which is wow. very big. And uh, I think that, uh, one thing I love about here and I'll speak personally is that I am uh, I just oversee the ECNL national program. I'm not, I don't have to worry about, you know, making sure I get out to every field and every team and every practice and do that. But I, I, I do like the fact that I'm kind of able to just focus on my department and help other people when I can. I did some ECRL games this past weekend and I'm doing some stuff next week with our under 12s and pre ECNL. But um it, it, the work-life balance is great, and I think Brad and and all the people that have built this program have built a, a good thing. So awesome, it's awesome. Right. I got one last thing to get you out of here with Brian. So you know, again, um, we all, for some reason, we're all connected through ODP. It was all a big thing, and you know, I, I had the pleasure of working with a number of different um, head coaches of OP, ODP. So I worked with you know, Robbie Church, and I worked with uh, Karen Hoppe, and I worked with with yourself, and I worked with Chris, and I, and I got to tell you, my time with you was without question, you know, one of the best. I mean, the way you led our program, um, you know, it took a it took a big jump, or t- it took a big drop off after you left, because Chris, I think, took over from you, and <laughs> it was really a struggle from there on out, so we were winning, we were cruising, everything was great, when you were, you, you know, you, I think you came in from Karen, Karen was doing a great job, you did a great job, and then just totally yeah the problem the bombs. thing that i did wrong was bombs. i kept you on the staff i should have just got rid of you and we would have been better well first of all I, that's very very flattering and i appreciate that but i know better because chris chris always made it better um, uh, around but i will uh i will say that odp changed a lot right in that transition of when i left and part of the reason mm-hmm. i left is because i became a board member of, became a board member of ecnl at the time sure. when ecnl was coming in and though it wasn't really a conflict of interest, I just felt like it was, there were too many, too many things going back. And so I think there's still some great value for ODP for some kids out there that are not in um, ECNL markets. I think it's a great, great way to continue their development and and grow the game for them. Um, But I think that had a big, that had a big factor in it. Yeah. Well, I know the staff had a lot more fun when you were in charge than when Chris was in charge. But anyway, yeah, this is pick on Chris night. What's going on? Here? <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say no comment. To that. <laughs> All right, Brian. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming yeah, on College Soccer Nation. You're excellent. Not I really honored to have uh, that you guys had me on here. I had a blast, and I, I look forward to seeing more. Yeah. All right, Brian. Take care. Okay, Matt. What are we looking forward to this week? What do you got going on? Yeah, first of all, that was a good interview with Brian. 
He's a sharp guy. I enjoyed. It. I think our listeners are going to really enjoy that. Yeah. He's he's smart, Chris. He's a he's smart really guy. Smart. Voice die smart. Yeah, he's really <laughs> smart. I didn't know he you was know, that smart, honestly. Yeah, I mean, me either. You know, we get all these guests on here, and I think, God, there's how are they friends with me? How do they continue to talk to me? They're so much smarter than I am. So yeah. anyway, that was great. Yeah. All right, uh, I'm looking for we're team. Hopefully, our team's back uh, tomorrow. We had a, a test today, so we're hoping everybody's negative and we can resume back. Um, training, getting ready for a big game on Saturday against Georgia Southern back at home. We haven't played at home in a long time. So hoping we get that in. So I'm definitely looking forward to this week. I will say this. I spent the better, I really spent all weekend on the couch watching games. I watched a ton of games. Why so happy I, with you about that? <laughs> she was out doing <laughs> stuff. So I was lucky. They were out. She's not running around, but I very lucky that um, I watched a lot of games, a lot of teams. I think it was really good. Um, to get an idea on people. So anyway, that's what I did, and that's what I'm looking forward to. What about you? Well, we got uh, we got uh, two games this week. We're home with South Florida, which will be a, a hard game for sure. Yeah, good sure. team. Good and team, then, yeah. And we got to fly down to Central Florida. We play Sunday afternoon. It'll be 90 degrees and high humidity. So um, I'm going to have to pick my outfit wisely. Yeah, uh, yeah. You don't want that big heavy jacket again. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be hot. Smart, be so, smart. But there's some uh, some good games, some some games I highlighted for us this week. Um, UCLA and Arizona State, I think. Ooh, big game. Yeah, yeah. I like UCLA in that one. Uh, Vanderbilt, Memphis. Ah, good game. Good yeah, game, good right? Game. I mean, yeah. We'll see what happens as far as you know Memphis and and maybe their at large uh, candidacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, West Virginia and Duke. Oh wow! Yeah, another good yeah. one. Uh, was. Wisconsin, Indiana just beat Wisconsin. Those yeah. those four are kind of the next four, aren't they? Outside of, uh, yeah. I think yeah. Minnesota's probably in there too. But yeah. those are, they're yeah. all bunched up. They, somebody's got to start separating. No doubt yep. about it. So, yeah. All right, good. Well, let's go. It's Power Five time, right? Power got Five. Madness on. I've been watching it. Watch some of that this weekend too. Some wow. How about the upsets? It's crazy. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it really is. All right, let's go. Um, I'm going to say you. I go first. You went first last time. I'm going first. You're going first. Basketball coaches we're going with. Yeah, some of mine are sentimental, I'm going to call it. So growing up, this is number five for me. Number five, growing up, um, you know, we lived in – we lived close to Syracuse, three hours from Syracuse. Syracuse's big rival back then in the 80s was the Georgetown Hoyas. Sure. Patrick Ewing, all the boys that came through. So I was a – became a big John Thompson fan. And you look at – and this is part of my criteria for my teams – they – they really didn't win before him, and they really haven't won like like they did after him. So John Thompson is number five for me. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's a good choice. Thank you. For me, number five is um, one of the most entertaining basketball coaches you'll ever find, Jim Valvano. Jimmy V. Jimmy V. That's right? a nice I mean, pick, Chris. That's yeah, a nice Jimmy pick. V That's is, a nice pick. I mean, yeah. a great speaker, right? And yes. won that national championship where he's running all over the floor and uh, just a. Uh, um, and unfortunately, you know, he, he died of cancer. But uh, yeah, he was a real entertainer. Yeah, I. Uh, he was uh, um, just fan. The energy level is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. So anyway, good one. That's a good one, Chris. I have no problem with that. Yeah. All right, you may have an issue with my number four. Uh, <laughs> my number four is a guy by the name of Brad Stevens. Oh my God! <laughs> some matter. The guy's What's been around for two days. Rem- remember what my criteria was, Chris? Uh-huh. Right? Criteria is he was, how long it. was he in college? How long? Well, was he? 
college basketball. Three years. Three years. Three years. Three years. Three years. Went to the final game twice at Butler, Chris. Not at North Carolina, Butler. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and now he's killing it at the Celtics. So clearly he was. Is he a big killing time at the Celtics? When's the last yeah, time the Celtics won? He's been in the conference final the last yeah, three, yeah. three of the conference last four final. years. Jeez. Yes. He's he's a great coach. He's a great coach. I love listening to him. I I, I listen I to his podcast. Like you're catering, you're catering to a certain voter who's a Celtics fan on this one. Who's that? Uh, I you know we'll see. <laughs> I'm just saying, Brad Stevens. I think is a fantastic was a fantastic college basketball coach. He is a Fantastic coach. All right. You you're prove number it three. Over time, man. Three years. You're number, you're number four. Three years. You're though. number four. In my group, He's, I love him. I mean, as far as a great college basketball coach and also won a gold medal, won an Olympic yeah. medal as well. Old school as they come, right? Yeah. This is what I'd say. He had a great line that I still believe today. He said, kids haven't changed. The way we treat kids have changed. Yeah. yeah. Totally agree with that. I, as a coach, I totally agree with that. Yep. But that's a good one. All right. My number three. Number three, Mike Krzyzewski. My number three as well. Okay. All right, let's move on then, right? Yeah. We Coach both K, agree? I mean, Pronounce his name again. Yeah, Pronounce his name one more time. Krzyzewski? <laughs> no, right? that is incorrect. Krzyzewski. Whatever, same thing. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we don't have to talk about him. We both have ah. number three. All right. My number two? Yep. Gino Ariema. Okay, I think that's a good one, Matt. Because, and I think it's a really good one because that's my number one. Oh, okay. he was my number one. Who's your number two? My number two is the only person who could hold Michael Jordan under twenty points. Dean Smith. So here's my issue with Dean Smith. You want to know my issue? Oh, my issue with Dean Smith is North Carolina was good before Dean Smith. North Carolina has been good since Dean Smith. So to me, nope. No, I don't, I don't think, like, I don't think the guy like, is one of the one national college basketball coaches ever. He is, and uh, he is. I'm not disputing okay. that. All right. but I, then, then the I end of the story. That's the end of the story. That's the reason I didn't is. put him on because, again, my standard was they did it at a school maybe that hasn't done it before, didn't do it before. North Carolina is a blue blood. Anybody can oh. coach there. Chris, if you were the coach of North Carolina men's basketball, you would win a national championship. Is, is Duke not a blue blood? No, we don't know. Is Indiana not a blue blood? It. No, 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 no. Yeah, so I don't agree with that. <laughs> hey, Dean Smith, no Brad Stevens. <laughs> That's right. Dean Smith, no Brad Stevens. I yeah, agree with that. Right, right, All right. My okay. number one? My Go number ahead. one? This ought to be Pat, great. Su- Pat Summit. Pat Summit. It's hard to argue, Chris. It's hard to argue. Pat Summit was winning was winning games when no one put anything into women's basketball. It was easy for. Her. It was easy. How was it easy then? How was it easy if nobody was putting anything into women's basketball? Except Tennessee. Oh, he didn't say that. I don't agree with that. Tennessee that. was pumping money into women's basketball. So like you're crazy. telling me that Pat Summit was not a good coach? I did not say that. I did not. I would say hope that. not. I would I hope not. Say she's not in the best five. I back Pat. Well, you go ahead. You can back. Her I back five. Pat. I back Pat. All right, let's go through it. Just so we know, my five: John Thompson, Brad Stevens, Mike Shoshesky, Gino Ariema, and Pat Summit. I have Jim Valvano, Bob Knight, Coach K, Dean Smith, and Gene. Then you. But anyway. It's eccentric. Why is it Bob Knight, Dean Smith, same thing. No, not even close. (laughs) Might as well be. All right, let's keep moving. Let's finish this thing up. Uh, All right, we've changed the the topic again. (laughs) 
We got yeah, 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 but I think we found a good one. I think we may have. We may have. So we're changing it now to Matt's recommendations of restaurants in different towns, right? Yeah. So you're yeah. going on the road recruiting. Matt always knows where going to go. The... So yeah. he's going to tell us one each week. All right. So here you go. If you're in Dallas, and this yeah. is going to be – I explained this a little bit. If you're in Dallas – you're looking for a pizza place, Carmine's. It's out there by uh, Addison. It is fantastic. And this is what I look for in pizza places. It's very important. You have to look for, quote, unquote, hole in the wall. So places that are individually owned, they're not chains. They're, they're, you walk in and there's an oven. There's not a roller oven. Do not right. go to pizza places that have roller ovens. They're pre-made. It's terrible. Guy, he sits there. He makes the pizza. He puts it all on. He sticks it in the oven, cooks yep. it. He Carmine's it around in the air. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Carmine's yeah. in Dallas. I go there every time I'm there. It's fantastic. Carmine's Dallas out in the Addison area. It's very close to that Marriott that I stay at all the time when I'm in okay. Dallas. All right. Carmine's it is. All right. I think it's good. Good show tonight, Chris. Good show. Brian was – Brian Moore was was fantastic. Yeah. Brian Lee's brackets continue to uh, interest Amaze. everybody. Amaze. Amaze. And my power yeah. five is great again. Second, second, <laughs> second to, to mine. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week better than ever. Chris, good luck on your games. Two big ones this weekend for you, uh, or this week for you, I guess, right, with a Thursday, yep. Sunday. Thanks, Matt. Good luck. Thanks, travel Matt. safe, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Again, download the download the uh, the podcast. Please give us five stars and write a review. I heard writing a review is important. So if you could write us a review, we'd appreciate that, too. Thanks for listening. College soccer is out. If you have questions for Coach Petroselli or Coach Mott, you can reach them at cpetroselli at mail.smu.edu or mmott at olemiss.edu. College Soccer Nation is presented by DJM Productions and available on all your fine podcast outlets. Download it, give a review, tell a friend.